0: Thank you for listening to this message by pastor chad randall at life story church we are a grassroots church located in the heart of the bellevue community in nashville tennessee our services are streamed live on facebook and youtube every sunday morning at ten thirty a.m and wednesday 7 p.m central time we would love for you to join us now here's pastor chad randall famous last words if you're taking notes is a uh, a series that we began last week and we're going to continue it today. When notable, notable men or women of influence, when when they're about to die, uh, the world waits. The world wonders what their final uh, last words of wisdom or, are going to be. Right? Uh, we have some great men and women of history. Uh, it's funny. I just w- randomly uh, was doing a little bit uh, of research last night and. and uh, found some famous last words of some different uh, uh, famous people. And one I think my favorite one that came up was from Doc Holliday. Uh, he was laying in bed, you know, old Western Doc Holliday from the movie Tombstone, right? He's lying in bed and he asks his nurse for a glass of whiskey as he's dying of t- tuberculosis. She obviously says no, right? And he looks at his bare feet and he says, this is funny. How quirky and odd, huh? Uh, but people, we wait and we we wonder what last parting words of wisdom are going to be, especially like from people from people we know and that we love. You know, uh, it's true when a, a grandparent or a parent is is about to pass away. Family friends, we gather around their bedside and and we strain to hear every last whisper, don't we? So. As we continue our study, just as we did last week, I want to uh, pose a question to you guys. I want you to meditate on it, think on it, and we'll come back to it at the end of service today, okay? What would you say, what would you say if you had the opportunity that many people don't experience, if you knew that death was coming for you shortly, on your doorstep, and you had just one more chance to say something to those that you love, what would you say? I want you to think about that today as we study. One of the most knowledgeable, one of the most influential men in history that we have is the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He knew that he would soon be executed, and we have, church, did you know this? In your Bible, his famous last words. Words. Paul was facing death. He was facing death. He was imprisoned. But he wasn't dying of a disease surrounded by friends and family. No, he was still very much alive. But his condition was terminal, make no mistake. He was sitting in a cold Roman jail cell, convicted and sentenced to death for being a follower of Jesus Christ. That was his crime. After the great fire of Rome in 64 AD, Christians were blamed for the fire that uh, Caesar uh, Nero had set himself, and persecution ramped up to a level never seen before. Christians were being killed in the Colosseum, fed to tigers and lions for sport. Well, Paul was arrested for being a Christian, and as he sat set in that cold jail cell, this great servant of the king was only allowed a couple visitors at a time and he was allowed his writing material as he was treated like a criminal he was abandoned by all of his associates in asia minor which is i think why uh, in large part we find loyalty to be a common theme throughout uh, this letter seems to be the word that's emphasized truly more than any other word can i see that uh, graphic if we could loyalty You'll find it uh, in chapter 1, when he talks about the loyalty and suffering. In chapter 2, he talks about the loyalty and service to the king of kings. In chapters 3 and 4, he talks about loyalty, staying loyal even in apostate times, in apostasy. And then he talks about how loyal the Lord is to his servants, even when they have been deserted by all their friends. Something that he painfully knew too much about. Another way uh, of putting it might be this. Can I see that next graphic? If you organize the letter of 2 Timothy, you'll find chapter 1 talks largely about the afflictions of the church. Chapter 2, largely about the activity of the church. And chapters 3 and 4, the allegiance of the church. Again, when you think of allegiance, what word comes to mind? Loyalty. Loyalty. Oh, church, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this as well as we study have this this statement in the back of your mind and then we'll come back to it at the end of the day as well can we see this statement I gave you a teaser last night on uh, social media I said here's your teaser for tomorrow morning did you guys see that somebody say amen give me a high five if you saw the saw the post and clicked like Uh, can I see that graphic in the universe there is God there are people and there are things We should worship God, love people, and use things. Do you understand that dynamic? That's how it's supposed to work. But if we start worshiping ourselves, which happens more than you think, we will ignore God and start loving things and using people. If you want to live a miserable miserable life, church, this is the formula. This is the formula for a miserable life, to worship yourself, only what you want, what you need, Thinking of nothing but yourself, eventually you ignore God. If you, if that's not just hand in hand, you start loving things and using people. All right, that's not who we're called to be. We are called to worship God, love people, and use the things that He gives us for His glory. Amen. So Paul knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to die. Uh, chapter four, verse six tells us as much. He knew he was going to die. So he so. Who, who, who to whom did he write his famous last words? Not surprisingly, he wrote a letter to his son, Timothy, who is the pastor of Ephesus. The church in Ephesus. He'd left Timothy in charge there. This was a, a pagan culture infected with pagan, false god worship. When you think of paganism, I want you to think of debauchery, sexual sin, all of all of that. Alright? This is the culture in which Timothy planted a little church that just grew and grew and grew. Or rather Paul planted it but left Timothy in charge. He left uh, Titus on Crete, which is an island of liars. So liars and pagans, it sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? So I want you to think about this, though. T- Paul loved Timothy, loved him like a son, so much so that he referred to him as my son. All right? Timothy must have read and reread that letter, every word, over and over again. So as we study today, I want you to read it with, with a heavy heart to a degree, all right? Because of the situation and the recipient of this letter, this is the most intimate, the most intimate and moving of all of Paul's letters. You just can't get around that. So let's begin today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the last letter that Paul would ever write. He writes to his son. Chapter 3 Know this, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come oh boy if you know those days were coming for your son or somebody who you loved very much wouldn't you want to warn them warn them i asked you that question earlier i said if you had a chance on your deathbed to, to have that moment of famous last words what would you do what would you say i think part of what you would do is warn those that you love warn those that you love for things that you knew were to be coming upon the earth And so Timothy does. That word perilous, he says, in the last days, in the end times, in other words, church, in the end times, perilous days will come. Well, let's take a look at that word perilous. Here's what that word perilous means in the Greek. Let's take a look at that. It means dangerous. It means hard to deal with. Savage. Savage. Think about that. In the end times, savage times will come. The same word here, by the way, is used to describe the demons that Jesus cast into the pigs in Matthew 8, 28. So this suggests that the violence of the end times will be demonically charged. Are you guys ready for that? If you knew that, wouldn't you want to warn your son about that, your children? You know, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 talks about the end times, and in that, in that frame, in that letter, Paul talks about the deception of demons, the doctrines of demons. Not just men that have a bad idea, that wanna, that wanna hijack a religion on their own for financial gain, use the name of Jesus to make a buck. No, no, no. Demons. Demons whispering lies to people that then they parrot. So demons infecting our culture in the end times. (laughs) Doctrines and deceptions of demons. Perilous, hard to deal with, savage, so violent violence in the end times that is demonically charged. My goodness, Paul warned the Ephesian elders as well that the apostasy had already begun back then. We're talking about two thousand years ago whereabouts right now. It had already begun, my goodness. <laughs> Paul's so good to us though, as he continues to write as he continues to write to Timothy, he gets very detailed. And wouldn't you, wouldn't you, if Jesus had personally told you what was coming in the end times and what to be looking for? And you've already told the church in Ephesus that it's already beginning, here's what you need to be looking for. And and this is a, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to us now as well as it is the Word of God, and we'll get to that in verse sixteen here in a little bit. But let's let's read chapter or excuse me uh, chapter three verse two. Let's read verse two. Paul starts to give some specifics to Timothy. He actually gives him nineteen indicators. That it's the end times so how will we know when it's the end times he gives him these these last days When perilous times are coming he will give 19 19 different indicators pretty cool, huh? Uh, If you've never looked at this before You're gonna you're gonna appreciate it. I think let's read verse 2 first though for men will be lovers of themselves Lovers of money boasters proud Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Some of you are looking around the world as we read that verse. Some of you are looking around your families as we read that verse. And you're like, "Uh uh uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Am I right? Any hands going up? Uh, Let me see this graphic. Let's take this apart. Let's break it down a little bit. So 19 indicators. We're going to go through each one of these 19 uh, today. Can I see that first first 1 through 8 graphic? Lovers of themselves. Would you say that you look around your world, your family, your church even, who knows? Not at Life Story Church, certainly not. But do you see lovers of themselves? Do you see people who are lovers of money? I'll be quiet. How about boasters? Do you see boasters? In other words, swaggerers, proud, they strut, they swagger, right? How about proud, haughty, in other words? Verse five, blasphemers. Or the fifth, uh, number five, blasphemers. The better translation there, and I love this, I want you to get this. Better translation is railers, okay? Well, I didn't know what a railer was, so I had to go dig a little bit deeper even. So, what a railer is, is a person who's insolent. Rep- speaks reproachful language, scoffs, and insults, and does so against God as well. Do you know anybody like this? Do you see anybody like this in the world today? It's not just somebody who denies that Jesus God is God, which is typical blasphemy. This is a railer, insolent, reproachful in their language, scoffing, insulting against God and your faith in God. Do you see those people today? Are they about Verse 6, disobedient to parents. This one's simple because attacks on the family. You've got to know, church, you've got to know that attacks on the family are essential, essential to Satan's plan. Unthankful. And discourteous as well, within the context of that word in the Greek. Not just unthankful, but discourteous. Man, Please and thank you, anybody? (laughs) Let's not lose please. Can we get please and thank you instilled in our children? Unholy. In other words, profane. They're actually against, get this now, church. They are actually against God in their conversation, and they're actually against God in their manner of life. Oh, Paul says, now, Timothy, look out, because in the last days perilous times will come. And there will be people like this. Let's read verse 3. He keeps going. The first 8. He gives us 8 right there. He keeps going though in verse 3. Unloving. Unloving. That word is, uh, if you have a King James Bible, you can look it up and it's the better translation. I typically read the New King James Version because it reads more in our common tongue and it's still based off off of the Textus Receptus Codex, but they really dropped the ball on this one. This means without natural affection, so unloving versus without natural affection. How do you say without natural affection? And just how do you translate that to unloving? I don't know how that happens, but but uh, there's more to that. Unforgiving, which unforgiving is in the King James version as well, translated as truce breakers. Okay, that's very different than unforgiving. All right, and as we go down the list of this, we're going to take all this apart. Slanderers. Slanders, in other words, false accusers, is what the King James version says in the, which is all of this is more accurate to the Greek. Without self-control, brutal, or you could say fierce in the KJV. Despisers of good, again, Another drop ball there. It should say despisers of those who are good. So not just despisers of good, period, but despi- despising people. There will be men who despise the people who do good. Despise those who would speak for and stand up for what is good. Let's take those one at a time. Can I see that next graphic? Number nine. Without natural affection, you guessed it. What is that talking about? Homosexuality. Why would you not translate that properly? There will be those who are without natural affection. What this gets to is homosexuality being accepted as normal, not just the sin of homosexuality, but that the that people will accept it as normal. Now this was the judgment that fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah, not just that there was uh, this the sin of homosexuality, but that they accepted it, okay? This is not just the sin but they condoned it they accepted it a culture this is this is a culture that denies him as creator that does this okay because creation has an order god is a god of order you know the sin of homosexuality the big part of the sin is that it takes things out of order obviously uh, the testable act that the scripture refers to it as. However, it also is that you're getting things out of order. You're, God is the creator. He created things to be a certain way, a man and a woman, and how they come together. And you, when you get things out of order, it denies the creation. It denies the creator himself. It denies God as creator. Let's keep going though. Number 10, truce breakers. You know, business ethics aren't what they once were, are they? You know, a handshake is no longer good enough. I, you'd never want to do business on a handshake anymore. Not even within the church, sadly. You know, you might have a brother in Christ and uh, you both think that you want to go into business together, but you're going to drop some contracts probably, you know. We need to, sign, we need to get some guarantees here. We need to get some deposits going, right. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago, by the way, that you could rent a property on a handshake, you know. Uh, but those days are long gone. So truce breakers, number eleven, false accusers, slanderers. And again, this is even sadly prevalent in the church today, okay? So we can't be going down this list as we study, okay, and be thinking, yeah, all this out in the world, there are all these people. It must be the end times because there are people out in the world that do this. No, come on now, we know better than that. It's, the church is infected with sin. The church is a hospital. Amen? The church is more a hospital than anything else where we come in and, and, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit mends our wounds and strengthens us and encourages us and iron sharpens iron, right? Within the church, there is sickness. And within the church, there is slander. There is double talk, you know? Why do you think Paul talks so much about uh, against gossiping to the church in Ephesus and elsewhere? Number, uh, number 12, let's keep going. People will be without self-control. Without self-control, that pretty much speaks for itself. That is wildly prevalent in our society. Number 13, do you think we're in the end times? I don't know. This is looking pretty, uh, it's not, depending on how you're looking at it, it's not looking too good or it's looking great. I don't know. Uh, number 13, brutal, which means fierce or savage, untamed. Let me ask you a question. How do the streets of Portland look lately? Brutal. I mean, I can't, the, I can't believe the violence that we witness in our culture, the freest nation in the history of the world. We have violence running amok in our streets, and, our, and people attack our police. These people attack our police, and, and, and uh, while they're burning down buildings, they're calling the police the bad guys. Obviously, there's bad apples. I don't want to get into that. In any case, brutal, fierce, savage, untamed men will come men and women. Number 14, despisers of those that are good. Not just the good, as I mentioned a second ago. Despisers of people that are good. An even better translation would be haters. Haters of the good. Does this sound like the news media to you, by the way? I don't know. Uh, to, there's a lot of haters out there. And it seems like uh, any, uh, any, anyone who's trying to get, be, do good these days uh, is getting canceled, right? There's a whole culture now that cancels. Did you see this nonsense with Chris Pratt? Man, Chris Pratt, we got your back, right? Chris Pratt, the actor in Hollywood, he's a Christian. And he didn't even say anything or do anything. He just didn't attend a fundraiser for Joe Biden. And the liberal media and the liberal uh, tweeters came out and attacked him and tried to, to cancel him, attacked his character, tried to call for boycotts of, of him getting any work. I mean, talk about being haters of the good. Is that, is that a sign that we're in the end times? Paul says that that would be an in, a sign that we're in the end times. I certainly, it's certainly here, is it not? Goodness. All right, verse 4. Let's check out verse 4. The list will continue. He's very thorough. Wouldn't you be if you're writing your son your final words? Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good. Rather than lovers of good. Let's look at 15, that next graphic. 15, traitors are betrayers, aren't they? Traitors. Well, traders are betrayers. Do we have that next graphic? Yes. They're betrayers. They've betrayed you. A traitor is somebody who betrays your trust, betrays a promise. Okay, You can't even trust some Christians these days. Guys, it's the truth. Uh, there's some healing that needs to happen in the corporate church at large. Headstrong. This basically means reckless. People will be reckless. They'll betray at the drop of a hat. Verse, number 17, haughty which means high-minded, blinded by pride, and conceited. Boy, is that prevalent and run amok today. Number 18, Paul warning his son, people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is so characteristic of our age. I mean, for the most of us, we would simply need to measure our entertainment budget against what your kingdom giving is. I mean that's stepping on some toes there. I know, guys, but for real, it's a characteristic of, of our age. What we what do we give and spend on pleasure for ourselves, entertainment for ourselves, versus what we spend on building the kingdom? You know, where's your priority? That'll tell that will tell you if you want to get real where your priorities are. All right, verse five. We find the last one, number 19, verse five. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people, turn away. Turn away, Timothy, Paul writes. So the last graphic, number 19. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, this is form without force. It's like a church that meets but doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to work within. There's no power in that church, right? It looks like a church. It might even smell like a church, all right? People might even go to it like a church, right? But there's no power in it. It's rituals without reality, going through the motions, right? The people will have a form of godliness, but they will not operate in the power of God in their lives, don't you want to live your life, Christian? Listen to me. If you're a Christian, is the Holy Spirit active in your life? Do you Are you accessing the power of the Holy Spirit that God has released to you? When, you? when you put your faith and trust in that Jesus Christ holds your eternity safe in the palm of His hand, that you are one who will not be lost from His hand, right? When your belief turns into faith because you trust in Him, you make a deposit In that way with him. The Holy Spirit seals your heart, guaranteeing your inheritance as an heir of the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit you now have access to for discernment, for strength, for encouragement, you name it, the gifting that the Holy Spirit wants to pour out on you. Do you operate in in your giftings? uh, For real, what gifting can you say that the Holy Spirit gives you that you utilize all right, ask yourself that because we don't need to be living powerless lives and many Christians uh, go through the motions of their life ritual a ritual without reality, right and they don't operate in the power of God. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? do you pray pray about the decisions that you uh, have before you? Do you pray about work decisions? Do you pray about decisions of moving? Do you pray about relationships? Do you pray about offenses? Do you, do you access the Holy Spirit and, and ask Him to aid you, to go before you, to open a path, to open opportunities? Church, come on now. Boy, we need to be operating and living in unity with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen on that one. I know, that, I know somebody feels me there. So I think we can all acknowledge that this is us today. 19 19 signs that you're in the end times Paul gives us. I think we can acknowledge that we see every single one of them here today. This is the state of our culture, and this is the state of our churches, certainly in America today. If you are a true believer, if you are a true believer and you are in a cold, dead church, This might sound harsh coming from a pastor. But if you're a believer in a cold, dead church, what are you doing there? Let me ask you that. What are you doing there? Paul is very clear here. He says, turn away. Having a form of godliness, but not denying its power from such people, turn away. All right? Verse 6, let's keep reading. For this sort of people, this sort of people, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Always learning, verse 7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Whoa, what a powerful scripture that is. Always learning, always learning, always learning. But never coming to a, a knowledge of the truth. How do these people creep into uh, people's homes, by the way, uh, from verse 6? How do they creep into the home? I think a lot of times through the TV. I think a lot of times on television channels, these people creep into households and they make captive, right? To, through the, the television set, through the YouTube, through our phones, right? That we have, Satan has great access and his messengers have great access to all of us on a level. Never seen or thought of or dreamt of before. My goodness. So turn away, turn away, and don't discount the Satan's ability to use TV preachers, false teachers, to creep in. And anyway, let's let's read verse eight. Now, as Janus and Jambres, now as Janus and Jambres. Resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Now, who are Janus and Jam- Jambrus? Can anybody tell me? I'll give you a second. Any guesses on who they are? Somebody comment. I know somebody out there knows who they are. Pharaoh's two priests. Pharaoh's, remember the Ten Commandments movie? Pharaoh had two magicians, two priests, okay? This is big. This is big. We have to pause here. Now, Now, as he's talking about these people with these 19 characteristics, these are the sort who of creep into households. So, From these people, turn away. Now, now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these people. They also resist the truth. This is big. Okay? Do you remember when Moses threw his staff down and it became a, a snake? Remember the Ten Commandments movie? Surely all of us do. He threw his staff down And it became a snake. And then Janus and Jambres, what did they do? They did the same thing, right? They threw it down and theirs turned into a snake. Now, we often read that and we think that, well, that must have been a trick, right? Because they're magicians, right? And the power of God turned that Moses' staff into a snake. But, you know, God didn't, it wasn't the power of God that turned their staff into a snake. Certainly not. No, 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 no. So we, we think that it was just a magic trick then, until, until what happened? Moses' snake eats their snake. It was a real snake, which tells us, this church, that Satan is capable of doing what we consider to be a miracle, the miraculous. Satan is obviously capable of doing that. So let me, let me communicate this well to you. Just because a miracle happens, and this is important considering we believe that we're living in these end times, just because a miracle happens, that doesn't mean that it's God. That's big, guys. Especially in the end times, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's God, because we know that there will be false prophets leading many astray, many astray to another gospel, another gospel in the end times by doing what? Signs and wonders. Do we not see a, a ministry ministry movement right now of signs and wonders and healing and all this stuff? Satan is the great imitator you must remember that okay most christians underestimate the degree to which he intervenes and manipulates in our lives and i was talking to somebody just recently i said you know you know just because you're praying for something and it happens doesn't mean that it's god because you could be praying for the wrong thing if you're not if you're not healthy if you're not Holy Spirit led in what you're asking for in the first place and you know this is another leads us to another point uh, I'll try not to rabbit trail too much but you know I don't believe that Satan can read our thoughts okay biblically we know that God the Holy Spirit is within us you think something you pray in your head we know we can com- communicate with the Holy Spirit and God hears our thoughts right but Satan cannot all right. I don't believe that he can hear our thoughts, but he's pretty good at, at predicting. He's pretty good at looking at a situation. He's pretty good at looking at you crying. He's pretty good at looking at you desiring something. He's pretty good at looking what you're at what you're searching for on the internet. Okay, and. You might be praying for something that is ultimately unhealthy for you or bad for you. So if it comes to pass, that it doesn't necessarily mean that it's God, even if it seems to be miraculous because Satan has power, church. And we can't, we can't discredit the degree of power that he has. We can't discredit how much he hates you either. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. Jesus famously said this For false Christs and false prophets as well will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And Peter tells us in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Secretly they bring in these heresies. You don't notice it, in other words. It sounds good. It seems to fit. Even denying the Lord who bought them eventually. And bringing on themselves swift destruction. Let me say this, church. Don't be one who chases signs and wonders, okay? Even Jesus said it's a wicked generation that seeks signs and wonders. Don't be one who chases signs and wonders. Don't chase an emotional experience with God. Chase relationship with God. Chase Him through His Word. Chase Him down on the pages. Of his word guys chase intimacy with him chase insight chase correction and now everybody hates correction chase correction if you love him you'll chase correction chase insight in his word chase intimacy not an experience signs and wonders and drama we're emotional creatures so it, yeah Okay. There's an itch that wants to be scratched there in us, but trust, trust me, I have more emotional experiences in worshiping the Holy Spirit when I when He reveals something to me or a new insight in the Word of God. I'm telling you, goodness sake, now, we get emotional in worship at church. I know that we all do. You know, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Life Story Church. We believe in the power of healing and all that, but my goodness, there is a movement that is uh, um, get, has gained a lot of millions of people. It's gained, a, and it's even here in Nashville, and it whips you up emotionally, and then it pours bad doctrine down your throat uh, while you're calming down from the uh, experience. Let's keep. Re- let's go. Let's keep reading. Verse eight. Verse eight and bring on themselves swift destruction. Da, 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 da. Now as Janus and Janice re- re- resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. Disapproved concerning the faith. Verse 9. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all. As theirs also was. Their folly, in other words, will be main, made known to all. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. But you, Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, my purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, verse 11, afflictions, Which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. Remember, in Lystra, Paul was stoned. They left him for dead. Some even say they thought maybe he was dead and was raised from the dead, but that's neither here nor there. He was stoned and left for dead. You know what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Verse 12, yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Underline that one in your Bible. Take a highlighter. Highlight that one in your Bible. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yes, here we have another death nail in the prosperity Gospel, another death nail. Christianity was persecuted more in the 20th century than in all previous centuries combined. Did you know that? It is more and more dangerous to be a purveyor of the truth these days. More and more, Christianity is seen by the nihilist popular culture today as bigoted, backwards, and deplorably irredeemable. (laughs) You like that choice of words? Because it is. Look at where we're at right now. What's the first thing they de- They shut down with these coronavirus lockdowns, China virus lockdowns? The church. Are you kidding me? We can't go to church, but we can go to NFL games, right? Unbelievable. I want you to remember this, church. There are always five steps of persecution. When persecution comes, and it w- will come. And this is this is a an effectiveness uh, point for you guys. You want an application point today? In what way are you being persecuted? Okay, if it's zero, then there's a problem because they will hate you because they hate Jesus, alright? So if, if you're not receiving any form of persecution, I think that your ministry, your reach isn't far enough or maybe you're not speak. are you engaged in your ministry at all? Okay. There's always, remember this though, guys, there's always five steps of persecution. Can I see those? Number one, the first thing they do is identify the target. That's you. That's the church. That's true followers of Christ. Identify the target. Number two, marginalize the target group. Marginalize the Christians. Number three, then you have to vil- villainize them. First, you, make them, you identify them, you make them uh, irrelevant or seem unacceptable to culture, then you vilify them. Then once they're the villain, what you do, number four, is you pass laws against the beliefs or the activities of the target group. And then number five, all you have to do is, guess what? Enforce the laws. Number five, all you have to do then is enforce the laws. Could you say that this is happening in California today? Well, they're not persecuting the church in California. They're just enforcing the law. Right? (laughs) Ask Jack Hibbs, right? Ask John MacArthur uh, if they feel persecuted. Do you know that that's exactly these five, these, this list of five where, where I get them? Is that this is the way the Nazis did it to the Jews in Germany? That should put a chill down your spine. When the Gestapo broke down the doors in the middle of the night and took away the head of the household, it wasn't against the law. They were enforcing the law. Drop your mind around that, church. And we, and we stand by and let uh, uh, communist mayors, sorry, we stand by and let the, the liberal leftist mayors of our nation write unconstitutional mandates. Un, think about this, unconstitutional mandates, and we just fall in line. Should, like I said, it should send a chill down your spine. The Gestapo, when they broke down the doors, all they were doing was enforcing the law. The laws that people had stood by, maybe didn't agree with, but said nothing about. Verse 13, let's keep reading. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Oh, and they have. They'll grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived themselves. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. That is just a beautiful scripture. Knowing that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. The Word of God is able to make you wise for salvation. Through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. What a blessing. He was trained. Timothy was trained. Even as a child, we see here that he was trained. Let us charge ourselves to raise our sons and our daughters in like fashion. Mm. The only weapon... The only weapon, guys, that we have against apostasy and the bad teaching that is prevalent all around us, even in Bellevue, okay, the only weapon we have against it is the Word of God. We've got to hand that sword to our children as soon as they're able to hold it. And I say immediately. Remember, uh, as Paul talks about salvation here, there's three tenses of salvation. Can I take a look at that? He covers them thoroughly in Romans, but since he's talking about uh, salvation, the word of God making you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. There are three tenses of salvation. There's the past tense, which means you have believed and you've put your faith and trust in him. That means you are now separated from the penalty of sin. Just That's your justification. All right? salvation the past tense of salvation is you are have you were justified it happened in your past all right you are free now moving forward from the penalty of, of sin the present tense of salvation is sanctification this means this the, the sep, separation from the power of sin this means you know there might, there might be still sins that you struggle with But you're, you're staying at it. You're working through it. The Holy Spirit is helping you grow and get past these things. It's a process of sanctification. Sin no longer has power or a hold on you. If you, if there's a sin in your life that you keep going back to, you need to know that the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the power to be liberated from that, from that person, from that thing, that relationship, that habit that whatever it is, that drug, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to overcome that sin and the process of sanctification. The last one, the future tense of salvation is one day we will all be in our glorified bodies of glorification. We will be eventually separated from even the presence of sin. Amen? Can't wait for that day. Verse 16, let's finish up. Verse 16, all Scripture... All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration of God. This is, in Greek, it's actually better translated as God breathed. He breathed it. The Scripture doesn't contain the Word of God, church. We need to understand this. The Scripture does not, the Bible doesn't contain the Word of God, okay? It is the Word of God. Man is not an editor here, and we took the Word of God and we put it in, no, It is the Word of God. Verse 16, go back to verse 16. It is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Can I see that next graphic? What is it for? What is it for? Let's break that down for doctrine in other words it communicates to you what is right for reproof it tells you what's not right it's good for correction which means how to get it right and it's good for instruction which means how to stay right somebody take a snapshot of that this is what the god-breathed bible is for to show you what's right when what's not right how to get it right and how to stay right church god has armed you he has armed you with a sword to have victory in your life last verse let's let's wrap it up verse 17 that man good for instruction and righteousness that the man of god may be complete oh boy praise be to god thoroughly equipped for every good word pretty cool side note here Uh, you know, the word of God is not misogynistic. The Me Too people want to say that it is. But that word man there is actually the word anthropos in Greek, which means whether male or female. So there you have it. And that word complete there, uh, you you could translate that as perfect. It's translated as perfect in other places as well. But it basically means fitted for use. It means mature. So let's read that again. That the man or woman of God may be complete matured, fitted for use, thoroughly equipped for every good work that's you. And that's Paul's letter to his son, chapter 3. One chapter to go next Sunday. So let's revisit our test. Were you paying attention? Were you monitor? Were you... Monitor and, uh, were you um, keeping in mind our statement from earlier today. Can we revisit that earlier statement? Here's your test for today. In the universe, there is what? There is God, and there are people, and there are things. The Word of God here plainly explains us, to us, Paul's letter to Timothy plainly explains to us that we should worship God, we should love people, and we should use things. If we start worshiping ourselves, yeah, I'm just telling you, you'll, you'll see it in, in your life. If you want to live a selfish life, you'll ignore God and you'll start loving things and you'll be using people as well. This is your formula for a miserable life. So again, what was was the question I asked you to start the day? What would you say? What would you say if you had the opportunity that many people don't get? If you knew that death was coming for you and you had just one more chance, one more chance to speak to the people that you love? how would you show them that you love them? How would you show them that you love them? What would you, with all your heart, want to communicate to them? (sighs) Whatever the answer to that question is for you, why don't you do it now? Why don't you do it now? Because not everybody gets this chance. Do it now while you have the chance. You know you're not promised that chance. What would you warn them of? What would you warn them of? What would you beg them to see? Beg now. I love it when Paul writes and he says, I I beseech you. In the Greek it means to earnestly beg. Paul writes to those he loves and he begs them. What would you beg them to see? Beg them now. It shouldn't be beneath you. It wasn't beneath Paul. And guess what? You'll never regret it you'll never regret it it may be it may be the thing that moves a heart it truly might be nothing should be off the table I'm begging you right now how about that I'm begging you right now to wake up to look and see and know his love that he's here that he's here and time is short even at its end, quite possibly, as we read Paul's letter today. And that, you know, what you do now, what you do now, what you choose to do now, it will echo for an eternity. I love that line. It's from the movie Gladiator, right? What you do now will echo for an eternity. I'm probably saying it wrong, but it's the truth, church. Jesus' famous last words. Jesus's famous last words, remember, were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do into your hands. I commit, I deposit my spirit. What are your last words? What are your famous last words, church? Speak them now. What are you waiting for? The perfect time may never come. And if you wait too long, the time may never come at all with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you're here today and the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart in whatever way, I could only guess. But if you want to offer it up to him, if you want to uh, lay your heart down, if you want to submit to him Uh, a, a commitment of urgency for the hour that we live in, whatever it is. If there have been words you've been needing to speak and say to people that you love and you've been holding on to them, you haven't been saying them for fear of what they'll think or fear of looking stupid or for anger or for unforgiveness or whatever it is, I want you to release it right now. You know, bitterness rots your bones. Unforgiveness makes you sick, not the other person. I want you to let it go. I want you to lay it down at the feet of the Father who sits with Jesus at his right hand. I want you to lay it down and I want you to surrender it. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never, if, if you, when I, you hear me talking about operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe you've even gone to church your whole life, but that church is cold and dead and it doesn't operate in that power. You can operate in that power. You can operate in that power of the Holy Spirit and have discernment and wisdom and strength. If you've never surrendered your life, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, your faith in Him, you've never deposited with Him the final destination of your soul, you can do it this morning. Pray with me now, guys. Pray with me now. Say, Jesus I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Come into my heart and make me new. I believe that you rose from the dead on the third day. And because you live, I will live with you, Lord Jesus. I believe that you've saved me. Justification. You've, just, you've paid. You've freed me from the penalty of sin now, Lord Jesus. Now grow me. Sanctify me, Father. Lord, I declare that sin no longer has power over me. And we we pray for your return, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord, that we can be with you, free from even the presence of sin anymore, Lord. Come into my heart and make me new. Wash me clean. Strengthen me for the days ahead. All the days of my life, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. We love you guys. Thank you so much. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour favor out on your lives. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. And all God's people said, Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you right here on Wednesday night on on YouTube and Facebook Live for our Wednesday night uh, 7 p.m. message. We'll continue our letters to the churches on Wednesday. So we love you guys. Have a great day.